Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Network Show on a day where I probably never meant that more in my life. I mean, I usually say that because I know this is a podcast and people are listening to this at all hours of the day, but we really have just a widespread, I think we have pretty much the, the world covered here at this point. I'm Alex Christensen, and joining me as always from California is Spread. Spread, wave to the people because I'm going to skip you because we have two guests today. You can see joining us in the bottom there, Josh and Jared, our friends from Punt School. Um, both of them are calling us. It's, uh, it's early in the morning tomorrow, I think, isn't it, Josh? Uh, yeah, something like that. It is uh, casual 9am, 9.30am over here, this side of the world. Nice and sunny. Good things to come for, for tomorrow for you guys. <laughs> I know. That's good. It's You guys will be able to kind of tell us what happens, right, Jared? Absolutely. It's a beautiful outlook, a uh, very <laughs> sunny day and, and something you can look forward to. We love it. Well, let's jump in. We've got a lot to cover here. Again, we're going to be doing the network show here when we're done. We're going to jump over to Punt School and kind of do um, some games. Um, the point of this show here is just kind of do a season check-in, see how everybody's doing, try to see if we can uncover any handicapping lessons we've learned, share with the people, try to kind of figure out where things are going from here. You know, uh, Jared, I saw you smile there, so we'll start with you. Um, you know, how's your season going? Um, are things going well? Are there any uh, hard-learned lessons you might want to share with the people? Anything you're thinking about going forward uh, let us know how you're feeling yeah season's going pretty good to date i'd have to say pretty happy with how things are rolling um we uh, i don't know if we learned a few lessons yesterday but we got taught a few that's for sure the um both the market as well as as updates absolutely punished us yesterday so um but that is the season that we're confronted with and, and we just have to learn to adapt with the times and, and roll with the punches per se and and just learn to uh to cop some negative CLV wins, I guess, along the way. <laughs> it has been an interesting uh, season as someone that tries to think about CLV in the bigger picture. But yesterday was an unmitigated disaster. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, um, Spread and I did a show earlier. We were talking to Josh and Jared in the chat. We were all ready to go, gung-ho, Joel Embiid's playing. Tonight is the night. The Jazz are going down. We'll load up on the Sixers. Sure enough. About two hours was it, I guess, before the game time. Doc Rivers says, look good and shoot around. He's going to play. And then, God, about 15 minutes, I guess, before the game, it was announced that he was out. Now, luckily, the Sixers were polite enough to whip the Jazz, basically, for the first quarter, so we could all kind of buy out of our bets there. But it was truly, truly a rocky situation. Josh, what did you think of that? How's your season going? Uh, look, the season overall is going well, um, all things considered. You know, we're in the profit, and I think that's all you can ask for in the first couple of months of this strange season, given the you know lack of preseason and <clears throat> kind of unpredictable nature of the first month. That's for sure. So very happy with how it's going. Uh, yesterday's shit fest, as you said, was um, just one of many. I think we're going to experience over the next few weeks as well. I don't think it'll be the last of them, but. Look, it's, like I said, it's one of those seasons. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a real grind all the way through. We are absolutely learning along the way as well, I think, collectively as a group. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can take that as best we can going forward. you got to try to think about it as learning if, if you're not quite getting everything right here, folks. Now, Spread, I will ask you, how's it going? How are things on the other side of the country? Are we enjoying ourselves? I know I talked to you yesterday, but has anything oh, yeah. really changed? No, I mean, it's beautiful out here. Uh, things are coming together as far as, um, you know, I had a real rough January. Now that we have more games under our belt, uh, I think the model is much more indicative. Um, I've kind of figured out which games to throw out. And so I'm real happy about, about attacking the rest of this NBA season. Now, we know we need to tread lightly, right, with this injury news. And that's something that we're learning. Uh, I think that, you know, 
you, you especially, Alex, right, love hitting those overnights. I think that <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's a little better to be patient this year. So, um, you know, that's one thing that, that we're not able to do as well. But, you know, we're adjusting, and, uh, you know, we can still attack these lines, you know, right before close instead of right at the opening. Yeah, someone that does like to jump on the number as soon as possible. It's been okay with totals. I haven't gotten too messed up with that, um, really, unless it's a Minnesota Timberwolves game and you're looking at Carl <laughs> Anthony Townsend, whether he's in or he's out or a couple other players like that. Totals are generally pretty safe, but I really have tried to avoid taking spreads or money lines early because usually that is indicative of some sort of nonsense on the market. And we were talking about that yesterday with the Sixers. We were like, why did this only open around five? Now it's like kind of six. Yeah. But it says Embiid's probable. So maybe he isn't, and then we all forgot about that later when they said he was in, and then the line like moved a little bit. We jumped in, I think we ended up getting maybe five or six, depending on when you got in. Then he's out. It goes all the way back out to nine. So I think kind of trying to bet money lines early, spread early, and things like that. I mean, Josh or Jared, have you guys had any trouble trying to bet early? Have, have you maybe moved your plays to a later time, a little closer to game time? Um, I want to say we've we've learned, but we haven't. We're, you know, we're still uh. We're still getting in on some of these early lines and it's, you know, it's like you said, it's kind of hit and miss. It's, you know, when things aren't coming up to shock us, we're kind of getting good positions as we hoped. Um, but unfortunately, it's becoming a little bit more frequent that we're seeing a lot of these late injury reports coming through. Um, you know, the Clippers Cleveland the other day, we had nine and a half at opener. It gets out to 12 and a half and then Kawhi's out. And Pat Bev's out, and you know you lose position on the market there. Um, we sat on the ticket, and thankfully it still managed to come through. But um, you know, it, it is—it's something that I think we've certainly reined back. I think in the last sort of two or three weeks, at least, um, with spreads, unless something really stands out on the opener and doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, to attack, then you know maybe we do wait. But like yourself, I think uh, totals have been really nice in that regard. Um, so I think. Playing totals on openers is probably something we'll continue to do. Uh, lines, I think, probably going to take a, a little bit of a back step these next couple of weeks, especially heading into this all-star break, if that's what we want to call it. Awesome. All right, gentlemen, unless we have any other general thoughts, let's jump in. And normally we start at the Eastern Conference, but I like the question here from Whale Capper. So let's start with the Western Conference. I'm going to go through the standings here, and then we'll try to see if we can answer this question here for our buddy Whale. Um, Utah Jazz, the best record in the league, the seemingly unstoppable Utah Jazz. And we'll get to that in a little bit, followed by the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns. And those are the best four records in the league, folks. Um Fifth seed, Portland Trailblazers, and the San Antonio Spurs. So those would be your locked-in playoff teams. Your plan would be Denver, Golden State, Memphis, and Dallas. So things starting to balance out here a little bit. Dallas is finally starting to get back in the playoff picture. Memphis seems to kind of be holding water. But let's start, you know, again, I think with the Los Angeles Lakers. And I, I love that question from Drew there. Um you know, before even we get to how do you guys feel about the Lakers, uh, does anybody kind of have a strong opinion about this? I mean, the Lakers have started the season well. Um, Anthony Davis is injured. I think we've seen LeBron take a lot of minutes. So at some point, do things you know continue to kind of progress it in a point where Davis is still out, LeBron's playing less minutes, or really just kind of giving up on defense? And should we be looking here to jump on some Lakers overs? Um, anybody feel strongly about that? I mean, I think the whole league, we should be jumping on the overs the way it's been trending lately, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. It seems really hard to play an under right now. But, I mean, he brings up a great point. And, you know, when I first heard the AD news, my initial idea was that I was going to default to thinking of, like, 
You know what? LeBron didn't do very good when it was just his team, um, you know, two years ago when they, they didn't make the playoffs and it was the first time and he shut it down. Um, and, but I looked at this roster construction and, you know, he had a lot of young players that they were trying to develop. I think he has a lot more role players around him this, this, this year and this current iteration of the roster. And I think they're going to be able to absorb this injury better than I initially thought. Now to a specific question, what are the chances LeBron stops playing defense and Lakers overs crash? I mean, those two are correlated because we've seen as, as LeBron goes, the team goes, right? I mean, they feed off his energy, and when he gets lazy, the whole team gets lazy. So um, my guess is what are the chances? I would say it's like 60% or higher, and I'd probably be looking to some Lakers overs. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, Josh, so you started to nod there. How do you kind of feel? How do you feel about this angle? Does this make sense to you? Makes makes perfect sense. Uh, pretty much like Spread said, I think this team really mimics LeBron in terms of how he carries himself on the court. You know, he his body language speaks volumes, and the rest of the the players seem to follow his lead. Uh, I, I'd go if you know if you wanted to put a, a figure on it, I'd go higher than sixty percent and say you know the likelihood closer to seventy five percent. You know, three quarters of their games, I'd be looking at, at playing the overs for the Lakers in the situation that they're in at the moment and. I guess the only, the, you know, the only flip side is how, how serious do do we think collectively here that LeBron is really gunning for this MVP this year? That's an interesting question. I mean, that's definitely going to drive some of his momentum and his. But I don't know. I think he's more worried about getting another championship. I think that's more important to him than an MVP. How about you, Jared? Yeah, well, it's been interesting because his level of play has obviously been elite to begin the season. Um, but touching back onto the overs, I really like the, the look of the Lakers' first half totals, um, if nothing else. We've seen, especially in that second unit, that um, you know the pace can drive and get high in the first half before it, it completely falls off in the second. So um, that's how I've been looking to attack these Lakers games. I've got some rudimentary on-off stuff pulled up here, and you know, a lot of this is going to be noise because Davis is normally playing against starters. But it looks like when he's on the court, I mean, the offense is obviously much better for the Lakers. It looks like their offensive rating is about nine points better. The defensive rating is actually gets a little better when he goes off the court, which I thought was odd. But I think that might be indicative of the other players he's facing and kind of the units there. Pace kind of stays the same. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, Spread, you said here before we started, I mean, unders have been hot. If I look back, um, if you blindly bet every under at the close from February 9th through yesterday, it looks like you're up about 20 units. Again, right, but over the last couple of weeks, every everything's been going over. Yeah, it's it's been pretty uh, spectacular. I mean, yeah. do you guys have any maybe sort of macro thoughts? I mean, I know all of us look at some numbers and we all have kind of various levels of models, but is there anything you've seen either from watching, from looking through some of your data that has popped out to you as, as to what's driving this? Maybe faster pace? Is the offensive efficiency getting better? What do you guys think? Uh, look, from what I watched in particular yesterday, as someone who had three under tickets yesterday, all of which got absolutely crushed, uh, it was it really was a combination. All, all the games played out at a faster tempo and faster pace than I was anticipating and projecting for all of them. Um, but they all shot the ball super efficiently. Um, and I think that's going to happen in waves in the current environment and setup. I mean, we've, talk, we've spoken about it on you know a couple of our shows the impact that you know no fans can have particularly on shooters um, and it seems that you know as long as you're creating good enough looks particularly for these three-point shooters they're going to knock them down at in and around 40 percent and that mark doesn't seem to be dropping at all if anything it's it's you know it's as steady as ever and arguably for certain players it's on the uh on the up as well 
So it, it's it's very, very difficult right now to be betting unders, I think, in the NBA um, as teams sort of settle into a rhythm and offensive groove. And like I said, these shooters at the moment um, for all teams just seem to be knocking them down with steady consistency. So, yeah, it, <sighs> When I look at my numbers and my data, you know, I still show leans and edges towards the unders pretty much every night. Um, and, and that's something I think I'm kind of have to kind of put on the back burner, I think, for these next couple of weeks and just play more of what I see on a nightly basis. So I don't know about you guys and what you're doing with your models, but that's that's kind of where I'm at. Well, Josh, yeah, I heard I, you on a show the other day, and you talked about 237 seems to be where it's capping for you. Yeah. And I think that that – is so indicative about what's going on this year. And I think that the outliers of these games can run our models higher because, you know, you, you play against the Nets and you get 270 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then you're throwing that into like a Jazz Clippers game or something like that. Um, so I think you really need to tread carefully. And I think that uh, as, as, as well as you, I think I have a sweet spot in my model where I'm only going to use it on totals between 217 and 237, like you said. Ones that are lower than that, they got to be situational. And higher than 237, they have to be situational. Don't try to rely on the numbers because um, you're missing something. And I don't think that we can adequately uh, predict it with the model on how to do those really outlier totals. Yeah, I think the tough part at this point is we're starting to get past kind of everyone's preseason, if you will. Um, these guys got thrust into playing regular season basketball. There was no training camp, um, you know, some light training camp for some teams, no real preseason game. So I wonder if we're starting to watch everybody kind of get into some sort of you know basketball shape, if you will, or gel a little bit. Um, you know, Jared, what, what did you have to add kind of about this topic? Yeah, so um, obviously early in the season we we spoke about missing that that preseason and seeing totals going under. Um, we've seen the markets sort of adjust to that in a way, and and I think that's what's sort of driving these overs at the moment. But um, looking forward, I think it'll be interesting to see the effects that the All Star break will have, and everybody um, getting away and having a break and then coming back um, in seasons gone past. It's always been a tricky spot to handicap and. It's uh, it's looking like it's going to be you know that on steroids this time around. So we'll we'll see what happens after the break, I guess. It's going to be pretty amazing if they have an All Star game, especially um, after what's been going on. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, as everybody knows, the Spurs are are going to postpone a couple games. Some of their teams might um, opponents. I'm sorry, recent opponents might be. Um, postponing a couple games. It's interesting. I don't know about you guys. This seemed to me like the first time I can remember them proactively postponing games like this. They used to kind of go game by game. I don't know if anyone can remember them kind of postponing two or three at a time like this. So I wonder if the NBA is kind of adapting. Again, they've, they've done a pretty good job, although you've had some postponements. And some teams, unfortunately, have had to play with kind of half their teams. I mean, the Heat had to do it. The Sixers had a couple games like that. I know um, you know, probably about a quarter of the league, frankly, um, has either missed a long period of time or had to play some tough games. So fingers crossed, everyone, that if we do play an all-star game, everybody will be safe and you know, yeah, can you nothing bad happens. The stars went out right after that. <laughs> That's what I, I think. It just could be just a disaster. I mean, if, if David Stern were still commissioner, yeah. but it, to me, I might be doing like all these weird kind of things about, well, maybe he's just trying to get him a break. He figures he gets them all together. <laughs> they might even get COVID. We just say they have it. Two yeah. years quarantine. LeBron can go to Germany, get some knee stuff done. Everybody pulls back. We're all winners. I don't mind that. That's actually, but everybody go get it, healthy. It, it, it's okay that they all play together as long as they don't shake hands after the game, right? <laughs> exactly. yeah, no, that's that's what's really important. Let's keep going through the Western Conference, though. You know, we kind of touched on the Lakers there. Um, how about the Jazz, though, guys? I mean, this was a team 
before the season started, I know I was kind of ribbing a little bit for not making a lot of changes, for not really trying to do anything to better themselves. And what I may have missed was that's exactly what you needed for this regular season. Um, You need consistency. You need kind of the depth that they have in a year where there is no home court advantage. They are one of only basically two teams with home court advantage, them in Denver with the altitude. They've got a solid coach. They've been just about as healthy as any team. You know, as I start to go back and look at some of my injury data here, I think they're one of the only teams where I look kind of even at their whole starting five, let alone kind of their top four have played just about every single game um you know i'll start with you this time jared what have you seen from the jazz do you think this is just a regular season thing or, or can we maybe carry this over into the playoffs and are you starting maybe to look at some jazz futures yeah i think i think you nailed it by touching on the fact that the the biggest thing that that we didn't factor in about the jazz is that they do have continuity of roster and and maybe took a little bit too much on from from last season's um failings if you will but um, coming into the season, I think that continuity has been the key for them. And I think with that home court advantage, I think they're well aware of that and they're going to push hard, try and look up this number one seed and, and make the two LA teams play against each other. I mean, that's what, that's what I'd be trying to do, that's for sure. So um, how long is it going to last? I'm not too sure whether it translates into playoffs. Um, that's yet to be seen. But at least for the regular season, I'll be um, absolutely looking them to be juggernauts for the rest of the for the rest of the season. Hey, Josh and Spread, how about you guys? Um, either of you guys kind of have any strong takeaways? I mean, have you made any changes to the Jazz? I mean, have you hit the nail on the head? I know, Spread, you know, you and I were kind of anti-Jazz. I don't know about you, Josh, but how are you guys feeling? Go ahead, Josh. Look, I'm, I'm pro-Utah. I think they're legit. I think that they are genuine contenders, and I think we need to start treating them as such. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you don't play this good for this period of time. Um, by accident and you know you don't regress drastically from this level of play particularly when they're showing that they can do it on a near nightly basis the way that they have I've I've personally gotten involved in a jazz futures ticket uh, to win the west and I did that almost almost two weeks ago now um uh, purely because I, I do think that they are going to go hard and they're going to do their absolute best to lock down that number one spot in the West. And I think that they're more than capable of doing it. You know, luckily for me, this AD news, I think, obviously is going to play a part in assisting them to do that. You've still got the Clippers without Paul George as yet. I think, you know, he might miss some more time. Kawhi will probably miss some time down the stretch as well. It kind of sets itself up for Utah to really make a push for that that top seed. And, and like I've said in the past, I've said it on our shows, you know, I even just mentioned it then, but I think they, they really go hard for that number one seed and put themselves in the best possible position to at least make the Western Conference Finals at a bare minimum uh, and, and face off against one of these LA teams. Uh, and from there, you know, you, you have position, I guess, on the market to do as you please. But, you know, I, I am interested to hear your thoughts, you two, uh, on what you think, because for me, I think Utah are absolutely worthy of being in that top tier now. Uh, in terms of contenders alongside both the LA teams and and probably Brooklyn uh, and Philadelphia in the East spread. What about you? Like, uh, do do you have them in that ranking or do you still sort of have them in that second tier, just, just underneath those three, four teams? No, they have to be in that top tier now. And I think you make a great point with the number one seed. And here's why your ideal scenario for the jazz is for the LA teams to meet each other before you face one of them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You want to be one. You want to have the L.A. teams be two or three. Let's have that battle for L.A. in the second round. And then, you know, the winner heading to Utah. Because as much as I like this team, as much as I believe in them, 
I don't want – I would really be wary of this team having to play, you know, the Clippers in the semis and then the Lakers in the finals or vice versa, something to that effect. And, and, and you know, Alex, we did write them off at the beginning of the season, and I'm not going to beat myself up over that because everything that I had read coming out of Utah was that Gobert and Mitchell weren't getting along, right? And it's just – you know, we saw everything with the COVID. We know that there was, was a lot of resentment um, due to that. And they had said the right things, but I didn't necessarily believe it. We saw the way that they went out of the playoffs, right? It didn't necessarily look that they were trusting each other as teammates. So for us to suddenly turn around and start believing in this team, uh, you know, did, doesn't make a lot of sense for me. So I'm not going to beat myself up for, for missing the boat on it. But now that they've proven that, number one, you know, they're past whatever that was a long, long time ago. I mean, it's almost a year ago now, right? Um, they're playing as a team. And really, the emergence of Mike Conley being the player that he was supposed to be and he was signed to Memphis, and he had so many problems fitting in. Now that he's finally being that facilitator, allowing Mitchell to play off ball a little, Mitchell's got better at playing off ball. And then, of course, um, you know, the big uh, omission from the bubble was Bojan Bogdanovich. He's back, and you got him and Ingles as the sharpshooters. Uh, I believe in this team, but I don't want them to play L.A. twice. Uh, I think, actually, the worst-case scenario for them is they get one and one of the L.A.s drops down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of my big things that I always talk about is the difference between the NBA regular season and the NBA playoffs. I think this Utah team is really just enjoying the benefits of this regular season, given their health, given their home court advantage here. I still struggle what they're going to do in a seven-game series against an L.A. team if they have both Anthony Davis and LeBron James, uh, an L.A. team, if they have both Kawhi Leonard, if they have both Paul George. We know Rudy Gobert is great for 82 or so games every single year. And then once it comes to the playoffs, he just gets demolished because he can't do anything on the offensive end of the floor. Teams go, they shut everything down. It's just like, here, yeah, tr we'll try to let Rudy beat us by scoring 20 points a game. Now, Conley is the big X factor here. He's been one of, if the not not of the best guards in the league, frankly, to start the season. Just having another quiet Mike Conley season. Um, I hope, really hope he finally makes the All-Star game. He's been spectacular. But I don't know if this team has that upper level um, to really get it done in the seven-game series versus both L.A. teams. And for, for now, they're the one seed. I think they probably do hold on to that. But I do wonder if the Lakers or, or even the Clippers are going to fall down to that four seed and then they're going to get stuck playing both of them anyway. So, um I like the Jazz. I like what you did sort of, Josh, in terms of grabbing something. I think you'll have some great value later down the road on that, but I'm still not sold on Utah having the capability to win a title. I'm just not yeah, there. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I think the flip side of that, though, is, you know, like you said, with Rudy Go the Rudy Gobert example in particular and, and the sort of inefficiency he brings offensively in a half-court playoff-style environment, but presuming that Utah have everyone healthy and available for the playoffs we're looking at a team that is essentially running out four shooters shooting upwards of 40 percent from three uh, and surrounding him with that that type of you know uh, caliber of player it kind of presents itself where they can completely spread the floor uh and just allow gobert one-on-one -on -one to post up off of pick and rolls and in certain matchups does it do you think that Gobert's role in the play, or rather his impact in the playoffs will change now given the way that, like you said, Conley's playing in particular, but also the way the rest of the roster and rotations are working? 
I think it's part of that. I think that with some time, coaches will be able to figure out ways to kind of slow them down a little bit. The shooting is terrifying. You're right. They can put an absolutely devastating amount of three-point shooting on the floor, and that tends to be the cure-all for, for anything. But I just I start to think about some of these teams. I think the Lakers have what they need. I know the Clippers have what they need to keep up with them defensively. You start to look at some of the teams in the East. I think that there are going to be some challenges there. Um, it's kind of funny, though. If, as I get to Utah and I think about some of the teams in the East, they're kind of a terrible matchup for Brooklyn if that ends up being a thing. But, God, that's going to be nuts. Um, again, it's a lot of the matchups this year are really imbalanced. You kind of have teams that have these really great guards. Some teams have really great wings. There's going to be some mismatches here. Again, the Lakers, I think, are, are have what they need to do defensively. I know the Clippers do, but I still worry about Gobert and, and what the Jazz are going to be able to do when things get tight and they have to you know, play against a little more prepared and focused opponent. I'm not worried about if Gobert on the offensive end as I am on the defensive end. My worry for them in a seven-game series is that they figure out ways to bring him out and make him less effective under the hoop. And we've seen Denver do that last year, right? Because Jokic is fine. I don't need to post this guy up. Let's bring him out and where he's on the perimeter and he's less effective. And then, you know, you'll see some of the weaknesses of the Jazz's other perimeter defenders that you don't see during the regular season because even if they beat a Clarkson, even if they beat an Ingles, right, they're still going to do a pull-up jumper. They're not taking it all the way to the rim. So my concern for Gobert switching to the playoffs is not that he's going to be ineffective on the offensive end, is that coaches are going to scheme ways to make him less effective on the defensive end. Yeah. All right, General, let's keep going. Um, we'll stop here for a second at the Clippers because I believe one of the four of us really likes the Clippers and is feeling pro Clippers. And I wonder if he's still feeling that way. Does he uh, Does he maybe want to identify himself and speak up a little on the subject? I have never been more pro Clippers than I am right now. <laughs> I, uh, I love what I'm seeing from them so far to start the season. Um, I've, you know, I've spoken at length, I think, on our shows about why I, I really like my position on this particular LA team. Um, offensively, I think we can all see the improvements that they've made under Ty Lue. Um, the, you know, the way they're moving the basketball, the efficiency that they're shooting at is very impressive. And I think finally over the last two weeks as well, we're starting to see that defense finally come together. Uh, and perform closer to a level, I think, that we all expected from them from the get-go. That first month in particular, the, the defensive numbers were a little bit worrying, uh, even for mm -hmm. myself. But I was happy to look past it. And, you know, sure enough, the, the last two weeks, like I said, things are sort of returning to a, a closer reflection, I think, of what their true capabilities are. When it comes to, you know, position with, with the Clippers, like I said, I got in on them at the start of the season. Um Largely because I still believed that the two LA teams were kind of that little tier above the rest of that Western Conference. Um, and ultimately, you know, the price that you could get on them at the time, which I got in at $8.50, so plus $7.50, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. You know, ultimately, I'm buying that price on the uh, large assumption that we're going to finally get that LA showdown in the playoffs, right? Um, and... I said last season, and I'm still adamant as well to a certain extent that had they matched up with the Lakers, that would have been the absolute toughest possible matchup for the LA Lakers. Uh, I still believe it's a really uncomfortable matchup for the Lakers if they do have a seven-game series here. You know, we've seen them play five times now over the past two seasons since you know these two teams have sort of formed, the super teams have formed in the West. Um, the Clippers have, have won three of those, and honestly, they, they absolutely should have won four. You could even make an argument that they could have won five of them. 
Uh, one of those losses was Avery Bradley having a career 32-point night, I believe. Shot seven for 11 from deep. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I, I just really think that the Clippers offensively cause, cause uh, the Lakers a lot of uncomfortable matchups. Um, and they have the defensive bodies to to slow down what it is the Lakers try and do. Obviously, Anthony Davis, the natural mismatch, but it seems that, you know, they, they make life uncomfortable for him. And, and whether that's now a mental thing for AD, I don't know, but he doesn't seem to perform very well against the, uh, against the Clippers. And until that changes and until I see him, you know, I guess use the uh, mismatch that he has to his advantage, I, I still think that the Clippers over a seven-game series is the way that I would lean. What do you guys think, Spread Jared? How you feeling? I mean, I was a big Clippers back here last last year, probably a little overly invested late, and I'm ready to get hurt again. What do you guys think? Yeah, I like it. I think he's got a great point on the individual matchup. I mean, those Clippers were so weird in the bubble last year. How they just kept blowing lead after lead after lead. Um, you, you know, you definitely like to think that they learned from it. And as much as I did not expect this in the offseason, I think Ty Lue's been an upgrade. Uh, I think the offense looks crisper. And, you know, as Josh alluded to, they can just dial it down on that defensive end, get back to where they were last year, and they have the people to do it. I like Ibaka more than Harrell at this point in their careers on the defensive end. So I think they made the right additions. Um, I'm going to look to back the Clippers there. Uh, if they do match up, you know, hopefully for the Jazz in, in the uh, Western Conference semifinals. But I, I, I agree with a lot of the things that Josh said. What do you think, Jared? Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe last season we were guilty of just, of you know, we, we saw a lot of their players missing time in the bubble and, and, you know, going out of the bubble and then quarantining and coming back in. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of continuity in their roster. And, and I think we all just got caught in the, um, you know, just thinking that, uh, you know, eventually they're just going to put this thing together and they're going to be the team that they were before they came in, but but they weren't. And it, and it was so glaringly obvious as um, as the series rolled on. But this season, we're, you know, we're seeing the players buying into the system. Um, Marcus Morris has been fantastic off the bench for him and, and is seemingly happy with that position. Uh, you mentioned the Ibaka edition, which is terrific. And then um, not to mention Zubats on the bench as well. So I think they're a really strong team and I think they're really deep and, and can cause a lot of problems coming into playoffs. I think also yeah. just really quickly as well, uh, one thing that Spread mentioned when I was having a conversation with him was they became a really undervalued commodity coming out of the bubble. Uh, probably one of those few teams whose bubble performance really hurt their expectations, particularly, you know, from the wider public, and I think that's what's presented a lot more value on them in the early goings as well. Now, the next three teams, kind of Phoenix, Portland, San Antonio, the final three teams that be locked in here. Um, all three of these teams, it's, it's funny that they're together. They seem kind of similar to me, these teams that are sort of overachieving and overcoming like all these bizarre little obstacles here and there. San Antonio's had some COVID troubles. Portland continues to just be the worst place to go play basketball if you don't want to get hurt. Um, and Phoenix up and down and up and down and all over the place. They continue to, to kind of, you know, put it together. I know I said earlier they have the fourth best record in the league, but I don't know. I'm not really expecting that to continue. Um, I'll start with you this time, Spread. You know, uh, uh, anything stick out to you with these three teams? Anything you want to touch on here? Yes, I don't I don't think the other two teams believe to, uh, deserve to be in this tier with Phoenix. I think Phoenix has a, lit, a good chance to upset any of the three teams that we've talked about before. I think they match up well. I really like what Chris Paul does and the way that the end of the games – 
look for the Phoenix Suns, especially if they have a small lead, the way that Chris Paul can control the tempo, get people to their spots, and I think that he's, he's done a great job establishing a rapport with Devin Booker right off the bat. And it's you mentioned Portland and San Antonio. I don't believe in them at all. I would throw the Nuggets into this tier here with Phoenix, and I'd drop the other two out as, I mean, I think that they're just going to do great. We'll back them in the regular season. We'll make some money, and I think that you know they're kind of destined uh, for another first-round loss. So, be interested to what you see, what you guys think about. Uh, do you guys think this is tiered correctly, or are you guys with me that, that Phoenix is, is head and shoulders above the other two teams? Yeah, I, I definitely have Phoenix well above both Portland and San Antonio, and I have I actually have Denver still above Phoenix personally. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, that that could be some bias as well in the fact that I just cannot get a read on this Suns team whatsoever. <laughs> um, no team this year has cost me more money than the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I was I was riding them a lot early uh, and getting really good market position, and they were just sort of falling flat. And I started fading them a little bit during this absolute hot streak, and obviously that's uh, gone pear shaped as well. So look, I, I'm staying away from them at the moment. I. I I do think that come the playoffs, they're going to be a really difficult matchup, like you said, um, particularly that given that their style and, and their ability to just hang around in games uh, long enough that, you know, when it comes down to the clutch and you've got Chris Paul sort of steering the ship there, it becomes a very, they become a very dangerous commodity and, and certainly a matchup I think most teams will want to avoid. Um, but yeah, for me, I still think Denver slightly above them. Um, I still have them ranked above Phoenix. I think, like you said, to start the show as well, the, the Nuggets are one of those very rare teams that genuinely has a home court advantage at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, come playoff time, that that could help them probably a lot more than it would uh, most other teams in that situation. But I just think that also, presuming Jokic plays at the level he's been playing at so far, he's head and shoulders probably the best player of, of anyone that's, on Phoenix roster right now. Um, Jamal Murray, presuming again that he's able to, I don't want to say replicate what he did in the bubble, but at least perform to a closer level to that than what he's had to start the season. Uh, and, you know, again, I don't think we've seen enough of Denver at full strength either to necessarily say that they're a team that's putting a true reflection of their capabilities forward as yet. Hey, Jerry, what do you think? And we'll just lump Denver to this group since they've kind of gotten into the conversation. Here. <laughs> so, again, Phoenix, Portland, San Antonio, Denver. Uh, how do you feel about these teams? Have have you been on against them a lot this year? Any kind of general thoughts on the group? Yeah, I'm definitely uh, definitely with Josh on uh, my inability to read this Phoenix Sun side. And, and if I look at look at their record at the moment, it, um, it would actually blow me away because I think I've completely undervalued this side. Um, like Spread was touching on, I think um, the Chris Paul factor and how you know the side has bought in with him. Um, we've seen some some good uh, things from Devin Booker and and how this team is their ability to close out games. I think translates perfectly into into playoffs basketball. Um, their pace has just dropped from last season, and you know that is something that I also look towards uh, from the season and, and being able to translate into into playoff basketball where the pace does drop out. Um, do we, what do you guys think about the top 10 at the moment? Do you think that, that any team, you know, on the outside looking in is able to crack this, the, the top 10 side, or do you think that's pretty much been determined already? 
Yeah, and to go through again, the the, guy, the teams that are on the outs here, Sacramento, New Orleans, Oklahoma City, Houston, and Minnesota. Um, New Orleans a team that just very talented but doesn't seem to be able to put it together, and we start to hear whispers that maybe the locker room isn't great there. I think this probably is our 10. You know, If I had to, to look, maybe with an injury or something, Golden State might fall out or a team like that. But I think you know everything kind of holding as it is, that's kind of the 10. What do you think, Josh? I think yeah, I, I think it pretty much holds uh, as is. Like you said, there, I don't expect anything, any any of those other teams to really make a push. I'm not a, a Pelicans believer. Uh, I wasn't preseason. Um, you know, that was one of my picks to not make the playoffs in the West. Um, I, I, you know, it's it's a strange one there because, like you said, the talent's there, but obviously something's not right. And you know, the first thing you can point to is the coach, and then the second thing you'll point to is locker room dysfunctionality. And I think. That's probably the more likely, given that you know. Can you can you really say it's the coach when they're pretty much putting up almost identical numbers and splits to what they were a season ago under Alvin Gentry? Yeah. What do you think here, spread? I mean, is this the final ten? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the only team that really that we haven't really touched on that's got a chance to win in the first round will be the Golden State Warriors. And that's just on the back of their experience and Steph Curry's ability to explode and be the best player on the floor. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, first of all, some of these teams should turn into sellers. Now, let's see if they do, but they should. The Kings should sell. The Timberwolves should sell. I think the Pelicans, we can talk about the coaching. The roster construction just isn't right. I mean, it's yeah. just not right. You know, they got two defensive guards who can't shoot, right? You got Zion and Adams in the middle. I mean, it's just, it, you know, you're not running through Ingram enough. Uh, they, I think they need to be sellers, and I think that you know, I think Griffin's done a great job of uh, you know accruing talent. But now let's go ahead and ship it out to some guys that, that work together. So I think this is the final ten. Can yeah. I can I ask one question actually to the two yeah. of you that I'm curious about? Uh, what do you what are your projections for the Dallas Mavericks? Mm, that's a good one. What a great well, question! Yeah, you're higher on them. Go ahead, Alex. You're I mean, higher on them than I am. I still believe that at some point they can put this thing together. Um, they have had almost the exact opposite experience of the Jazz between having players out with COVID, having players out with injuries, having games move around. Um, but they're running out of time. You know, we're, we've got a 72-game season here. They have played 28 games. So we're getting to be almost halfway there. And I think, you know, as I talked about for the Jazz, their top four or five guys have played just about every game together. I don't know if the Mavericks have a top four to five guys or if those guys have even played five games together. So I think that it's the absolute buy low spot for the Dallas Mavericks, but I don't know if there's enough time. I don't know if Porzingis is going to play enough games to get this together, if they're going to get enough minutes with all these players together. And Luca just doesn't look right. And I can't tell if it's because he doesn't have any help or because maybe he didn't you know, do a great job staying in shape over, over the offseason and is kind of working his way into shape. But there's just a lot of little cracks forming kind of in the foundation of the Mavericks. And I think there's time to get it together, but I, I'm worried. I, I think they're running out of time. Yeah, I think they're definitely a great buy-low spot right now, but <laughs> – I don't know if I believe them either. Uh, obviously, they look great. I don't know if I, I count on Porzingis to stay healthy. And my other takeaway just from them, and I think that this will be a perfect segue to us moving to the East, I think Seth Curry might have been a lot better than we gave him credit for. I think he might have been a lot of gravity on offense to give Luka a little more room 
to work. And, you know, as much as Josh Richardson was supposed to help this defense, they're not defending any better. And now the, the floor seems a little more packed there on the offensive end. So because you have such a transcendent talent like Luka, um, you know, you can never write them off. I, I actually did, and I shouldn't. They actually have a chance to beat anyone in the first round as well because if they get hot, you know, I, I still believe in this team. Um, but as, as of right now, I'm kind of where I was with Utah at the beginning of the year. I'm going to wait and see it before I put some money behind it. All right, guys, let's jump into the Eastern Conference. Um, I know we've got to jump over to punt school here in probably about 15, 20 minutes, so we'll try to get through this a little bit more quickly. My Philadelphia 76ers, the number one seed. Maybe it's good that we didn't spend too much time on this. Followed by the Bucks, the Nets, the Pacers, the Celtics, and the Knicks, the New York Knickerbockers. Regular season, Thibodeau in full effect here. So if the playoffs were tomorrow, those would be our six. The play-in group, Charlotte, Toronto, Chicago, Miami, Atlanta, now on the outside looking in, Orlando continues to collapse into a heap. The Cavaliers continue to fall down to the bottom. The Wizards are wizarding. And the Pistons, one of the things we did get right spread, is arguably the worst team in the league. Um, you know, what do you guys think about the East here? I think as I start to look at this, there's a, a clear top tier, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn. And maybe just to, to be perfectly honest here, Josh, Jared, do your Celtics belong in that top tier? Make the pitch to me. Are they, are they really contenders to win this Eastern Conference? And, and without a trade, don't give me the, like, if Ainge makes a deal kind of nonsense. With this group of guys, because we see it every year, maybe he makes a trade and he doesn't. I know you get that big trade exception, and maybe you can really convince me. But, you know, I'll start with you here, Josh, because you look a little more ready to go. <laughs> Talk me into the Celtics. Sell me on the Boston Celtics winning the Eastern Conference. This uh, this segment would have been a lot easier if it was a week ago. Um <laughs> <laughs> Look, the one thing the one thing I'll say uh, about Boston uh, is that the same thing we sort of saw from them last season, right? When they are healthy and they have everyone available, they're a very good team. Um, and as soon as you take out a, a piece of that starting lineup, they really seem to just fumble and, and and really struggle to get going. And in this case, it's been Marcus Smart who's missed you know the last two weeks, uh, two and a half weeks, probably going to be out for a little bit longer still as well. Um, prior to that, you know, there was no Kemba Walker. Um, maybe that was for the best. I don't know. But I, I don't think that you can make a, a proper assessment of the Celtics until you see them playing at full strength. And I know it's cliche, and I know you can say that about a lot of teams. You know, the Dallas Mavericks are a perfect example of something like that as well. Um, but when it comes to the playoffs, if if everyone's healthy and everyone's available, I think the Celtics are still a matchup nightmare for a lot of teams in the east um just given the the length you know the the size that they have on the wings obviously Jalen brown jason tatum stand out and if kemba walker can finally get that shot to go uh all of a sudden it completely changes the dynamic of the offense um and it gives them a a much better uh look i think than than what they what they're putting forth at the moment anyway um but look, I, I'm not going to sell you on that. I'm not going to tell you that that the Eastern Conference Finals bound again. I'm just going to say that they're not uh, the performances at the moment are not an accurate reflection. I think of where the Celtics stand right now, uh, and I'm I'm not holding my breath on a Danny Ainge trade. I don't. I think if you are, you clearly haven't been paying enough attention to his time at the Celtics. Um, if they do something, great. If they don't, I still think there's enough talent in this team to, at the very least, be making the second round of the, of the playoffs. And from there, it comes down to, you know, health and matchups. And, you know, I, I still believe that they match up well against most teams in the East, probably outside of the Brooklyn Nets. What do you have to add, Jared? Yeah, I think I'm 
I'm definitely a lot more bullish, but I think Josh sort of covered it pretty well. The the Celtics sort of are what they are during the regular season. They they have these peaks and and you know lows, and continuity of roster is a massive one. The Marcus Smart factor, I think is a little bit overlooked for someone who's so impactful on defense and is an integral part of this team. Um, not only when he's missing, but also when he is becomes like a primary ball handler because he's not an incredible shooter by any means of the word. And it, it really, it impacts on the Boston offense more so when he is forced to handle the ball more. So I think if the Celtics can get healthy and they can get their roster back together, we all know what we're going to get from them. And um, who, who knows what can happen in the East? You know, anything's possible with, with the teams. And and it's sort of not defined to, to one team that is going to win the East yet. I'm still not convinced by anyone that is a juggernaut in the East of yet. Excellent. Now, I want to do this by kind of a raise of hands here because I'm curious to see how this goes. Is anybody on this show interested in betting on the Nets to win the Eastern Conference? Do we feel strongly about the Nets winning Eastern Conference? Anybody? Any takers? None? None? I mean, not at the price. I, I definitely mm. think that they, they have a good chance. Okay, no price. Just you have to pick a team. We're trying to pick who's going to win the Eastern Conference. Is anybody taking the Nets? I'd say that they're – I'd put them 50-50 with the Sixers. I'd put them up – close experience, I mean, I might actually give them a slight edge. I, I'd no put them ahead of the hand, by the way. That's four no's. No, no, I, I, hang on. If we're disregarding price entirely and we're just talking about uh, yeah. winning the winning – okay. Come yeah, on. I'm in. I'm in. Can we see yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not there yet. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, but I think also that they're one of those teams who come the playoffs, we could actually get uh, a little bit of value on them based on how their regular season pans out, given that I think, you know, they're going to see a lot of games where either KD – or Kyrie in particular, possibly even James Harden sit, or we even see, you know, like today, two of the three of them are going to be out. Um, I think that's going to be a common theme throughout the season that's going to kind of hinder their final season record and probably present some really good value on them going into the playoffs. Now, as I look at the rest of the Eastern Conference here, we've got Indiana, New York, Charlotte, Chicago. Again, those are kind of your teams, and there's two teams I'm, I'm going to hold off until we get through there. But those four teams, again, Indiana, New York, Charlotte, Chicago, those are the teams. I could see them still being in the playoffs, but it's just more of a function to me of how top-heavy the East is. You know, I'll start with you, Spread, this time. Any strong feelings about either of these teams? Do you see them being competitive? Are you interested in them night to night? I mean, these are teams that I know, you know, I know we're betting on just about everybody and anybody, but yeah. I don't know if anybody's have been real strong in either of these four teams, except maybe the Bulls a, a few times. I mean, how about you, Spread? Okay, so I like them all night tonight for regular season betting. I think that I will be holding tickets on all these teams. So let's just go straight to the playoffs. The only one that I think that's got a chance to win the first round is the Indiana Pacers. And that's because they don't need to wait on a trade. They've got Levert, hopefully, and TJ Warren coming back. And that solves all their issues. Uh, Miles Turner has definitely stepped it up this year. Sabonis has definitely stepped it up this year. And I love the way Malcolm Brogdon's playing. Throw Levert in that lineup. Throw Warren in the lineup. Let's, let's move these Sumners. Let's move Holidays. Let's move them to the bench where they belong. Let's have them get those reserve minutes. And, and let's see this team score. So I think the Pacers are the only one they have a chance for the upset. The rest of them are going to be what I would consider regular season darlings. I'm going to have a lot of Charlotte tickets. Um, I like the Bulls. Maybe more the overs than the actual betting on the team. Um, you know, But I think Indiana is the only one that's really got a chance to upset the apple cart once the playoffs start. How about you, Jared? Anything to say on this group? Yeah, no, 100% agree. I think that the the Bulls and the the Knicks of the world, they it's sort of an interesting position. 
you touched on earlier about teams selling. And do you think that we, we see that happen as frequently this year, given the play-in tournament? Do you think we see more sides looking to maintain their roster and try and lock up that last position rather than giving up early in the season? I think selling comes down to the amount of buyers. Um, and I start to look, and I wonder who's really going to be buying here. The Lakers have kind of made their bed. I don't know that they have any real pieces or moves to be made. I look at the Clippers. A lot of people are talking about Lou Williams and what they're going to do with him. I don't know who really wants Lou Williams. Fred, you made a nice case for the Warriors the other day and how he can be like a mini Curry when he comes off the bench. But outside of even something like that, which is kind of a stretch to, to me almost, I thought of what a couple are they going to do? I think he you can know. fit in well with Boston and Denver. Hey, send him oh, to Boston. Send him to Boston. Send him to Boston. <laughs> I'll take him. Yeah. All right. You guys can have him. I look forward yeah. to playing against him defensively. But I just <laughs> – I wonder who's buying, right? Who's coming out and looking for a player? You know, maybe Boston. Um, we know Brooklyn's pretty much done other than kind of buyout stuff. I wonder if my Sixers are going to make a trade. Maury is always someone looking to make a deal, and there's been kind of some whispers. But we'll see. I just – I think that behavior is more driven by buying. Um, and as I start to look, it's a pretty tough year in terms of sellers having pieces buyers would want and buyers looking for pieces. Like Blake Griffin apparently is going to sit out until he gets traded. So that's the end of Blake Griffin you playing basketball. Get, you know, <laughs> contracts <laughs> over in Detroit. I don't that's, that's, that's kind of the most hilarious trade demand of my life. Until he goes and plays for the Knicks, right? I don't even know. The new Knicks one <laughs> might be smarter than this. Um, you know, what do you think here, Josh, or Spread? I mean, do you expect some some big deals here? Or do you guys see anything? It's it's not something I've started to look into, but I just – I don't read the tea leaves that way right now. I'll be yeah, real I'll... quick, and then I'll shoot it to Josh. I was just say I don't think we're going to see sellers, and I think it's stupid. You don't even have fans this year. Let's go ahead and get ready for next year. What's the point of going in the plan? Even if you win, you're going to get crushed in the first round. But I think a lot of these teams are going to make the mistake of going for that last playoff seed. Why? I mean, the cities aren't even going to be excited like they're usual. So uh, I don't expect a lot of moves, and I think it's a mistake. I uh, kind of kind of the same thing, but from the opposite side, I just don't think there's going to be a ton of buyers. I think it's probably more media noise and, you know, people wanting to see trades and almost you know demanding that their teams do something more so than the teams themselves actually wanting to go out of their way <laughs> and acquire something or someone in particular um it, it's just it's too hard a market right now uh, and you know un unless a team feels that they're going to get a lopsided deal that's going to absolutely move the needle in a big way for them you know I, I don't see a whole lot of activity going on at all going into the trade deadline yeah all right, so the last two teams I want to – Josh, that you guys should, should, you should shoot for. I think the Celtics could use Harrison Barnes, and I think we should be selling him. I, I, I think I've, he's playing well, and I think he would fit in well in your squad. I've had that conversation with You guys need another else. wing? Well, well, to be honest, that, that's from what I – my understanding Play Marcus is Smart that, at center? My, my understanding is that uh, that that's what Ainge wants is, is another wing or another uh, another you know big body that can shoot the basketball. <laughs> um, and Harrison Barnes kind of fits that mold, I think. Uh, I, I wouldn't be against it. Put it that way. That's, yeah, I struggle to see what 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 he does now. He fits there. I know that it's twenty twenty one, and there aren't centers anymore. There are centers. You need centers. You need big people to stand near the rim and whack balls away and be intimidating <laughs> and large. Uh, what are you guys going to do with Harrison Barnes? Get Tristan Thompson out of the lineup altogether. Yeah, well, that's good. He's, he's got less go to Tristan the Thompson right minutes is a good thing. He's got like to that. go to that's the bench. Absolute but. minimum. Uh, but I, I, look, I think. Uh, a center rotation of Daniel Tice and Robert Williams for me, that's good enough. That's more than good enough. And if you add Harrison Barnes to the rotation and, and give us, you know, more wing scoring uh, and you can move Jalen Brown probably to the shooting guard position, 
yeah, I, I think Harrison Barr makes, makes a lot of sense for the Boston Celtics. All right, last two teams in the East I want to talk about before we wrap up and jump over to the Punt School show to do the actual games for this evening because I know we're getting close. Uh, the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors continue to recover and sort of climb out of the, the cellar of the standings. Uh, now different reasons for both teams here. I mean, Miami just got devastated by COVID um, and having players out for Corona and things like that. Um, they're finally starting to piece together their roster and getting the shape. The Raptors, I mean, yes, they're playing in Tampa Bay. Looks like they're not going to get to go back to Canada for the foreseeable future, and we'll be finishing the season in Tampa Bay. But most everybody's been healthy. OG's been in and out a little bit. I know Siakam's been in and out a little bit. But they've had most of the roster here, and it's been really rough. I mean, until they've made the recent change of playing Boucher a little bit more, and, again, Ananobi's been starting to get better. They seem to kind of play themselves into some shape. You know, Miami or Toronto, um, and I'll start with you this time, Jared. How do you feel about either one of those teams? Do you see them maybe cementing one of those top six spots? And are you looking to maybe buy early on those teams since, you know, their valuation probably could be much lower at this point? Yeah, I think I think Miami's a, an interesting case. We I sort of felt like after the bubble that they'd be one of the biggest drop-off teams. Um, and their, their roster certainly hasn't helped that with their COVID situations and injuries. But they're also the sort of team that, that has has a big uh there's a big difference between their home performances and their away performances so throughout the season we're going to see you know where they're going to end up on the ladder but i'm not too worried about that because we know the sort of team we're going to get come to playoffs so miami i'm not too sure where their buy low spot is but i i just know that come playoffs i'm going to be ready to to start looking at, at where they are um with Toronto, they've started to put a few wins together and, and they've been really impressive over this large road trip that they're on at the moment, like a 10-game um, a trip. Um, given that they don't have a home ground, though, I sort of saw this as a point where the team could maybe rein it back in together and start to get some, some wins under their belt. So I think both teams will definitely improve and, and look to push maybe into that sort of top six, six, seven spot in the East. Yeah, it's Brett. How are you feeling? I mean, if you had to pick one of these two teams, who might it be? And are you feeling good about either of them, frankly? Yeah, I'm actually kind of down on both. If I had to pick one, I would pick Toronto. Uh, my issues with Miami, I think the bubble definitely overvalued them. As much as it pushed the Clippers down, you know, it brought the uh, – heat up and we've talked about it before how much that environment was built for Jimmy Butler and that style of grinded out team and I think the one player that that we talk about and he was the guy that really when he went cold in the finals they had no chance Jay Crowder I think the loss of Jay Crowder has been huge for that team he was a big defender that could play inside and outside and he was so sharp from three in, in their ability to get to the finals and then he went cold in the finals and you saw how much he meant to that team and I don't think they found an adequate replacement for him yet I think Hero and Robinson can both be schemed for as you've seen this year and and they've talked about it the players have talked about it they're not letting Duncan Robinson get those shots anymore right these guys know coming into the game he's not just this rookie on the report right he's being schemed for and he's being attacked um so I I don't know how much I really um believe in Miami except for the fact you can't overlook them because they're gonna have the <laughs> great coaching advantage against almost whoever they go up against you know and Toronto's the same way um I guess I believe in Toronto a little bit more because I feel like they have a better roster 
Um, but I think both these teams are really struggling with the how much change there has been um, since last year. And, I, I mean, to, to be in a completely different city, right, for Toronto, that's been really tough to overcome. Uh, let's go ahead and keep driving their stock down right now so I can buy more of it next year. How about you, Josh? How are you feeling about these squads? Um, look, I, I, I think I do want to buy on Miami soon. Um, I don't think that I will do so just yet. I mean, you look at that schedule – they still need to finish off a really tough Western Conference road trip here. They've got the Warriors and then the Kings on a back-to-back, and then they're at the Lakers after that uh, before returning back home. And then they've got a somewhat favorable schedule from there on at home into into this All-Star break. And I think that's probably the time I'll look to get on board them, um, probably to win the East and, and just get position on them. I think, you know, they're absolutely going to make a run in and, and finish – I think that I, I still think that they finish around that sixth seed and secure a playoff spot. Um, and then, like you said, once it gets to the playoffs, that's not a team you want to be up against just because of the coaching advantage that they have. Uh, and for me, I still think that they're a, a bigger playoff threat than Toronto. Despite, I do agree. I think that Toronto's roster is probably a little bit stronger. Um, but when it comes to just matchups and, and coaching and schemes and style of play, I think that's where Miami in the playoffs become. A, a much uh, a much more difficult opposition than what Toronto would be. Awesome, gentlemen. I think that covers about all the bases I was looking to cover. Any other thoughts just kind of in general before we wrap up here and jump over to Punt School to talk about tonight's games? Julius Randle, MVP? No, not even close. <laughs> He's not even an all-star, folks, but we shouldn't even have an all-star game. That's beyond that. Thank you guys for joining us so much. Um, like I said, everybody, you know, normally this is the time we'd start jumping into the games, but turn this off. Jump over to punt under at punt underscore I'm sorry, at punt underscore school. Hard to say underscore in school, one after the other like that. Um, on Twitter, we'll be tweeting links out for the net worth account and all of ours. So we'll be there in just a few minutes. I'm going to take a break and get some water. I think I have to feed the dog. Um, maybe Josh has to feed whatever bird that is making all that noise. Um, we'll be back <laughs> shortly, guys, to cover the games. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Good luck in all 